Any baseball fans in the congregation this morning? Baseball fans, raise your hands high. High, high. All right. Be proud, be proud. All right. So back here, young gentleman, I'm going to ask you a very specific question. Tell me about the concept of a sacrifice fly. Okay? So the, so the person who's at bat hits the ball so it, can be, so it will be caught out in the field, but that means that the runner from third can advance and score so that the team gets a score. Is that, is that right? Excellent. That was... Give him a hand. Wow. I, I don't know that I could have explained it that well right off the bat. That was, that was absolutely excellent, Will. Very, very nice. Very, very nice. Um, so, so the sacrifice is that that, that, that batter doesn't get a, a hit. He gets an out to benefit the team. So... I, we often think of sacrifice that way, right? That we're, we're, we're doing something for the good of other people. We're doing something for the good of other people. Um, many times, especially, especially for those of us who, who have been given the gift of, of being parents, you often hear parents talk about sacrificing things in order for their children to, to be able to, to do something. Such as there are many stories, and still to this day, of, of you know, parents who have a full-time job, but then they take on a part-time job in order to, in order to, so that their child can go to a special school, or, or, or be in a special sports program, or, or take piano lessons, or become a ballerina, you know, something like that, where there's a, there's a sacrifice of time uh, and, and energy uh, away from the things that they might do just for themselves for the child. For something else like that. And so I think we, you know, we talk about sacrifice um, in, in our culture a, a little bit. I don't know that we're all that great at practicing it, except for as it ultimately benefits us. Because in a sense, I mean, when we're making that sacrifice for our child, we're also going, man, I'm a good parent. <laughs> Boy, look at me, I'm a... I'm a good parent. I'm sacrificing for my child. Look at me. I'm, I'm a good parent. Boy, look at me. I am really good. That baseball player, I mean, that's the role, right? I mean, that's an expectation that if that's that and the coach calls that, that audible, you're going to sacrifice out, that you're going to do that. It benefits you because it benefits the team in a sense. Sacrifice is like that. But also there, there are ways that we sacrifice for those that we might not even know. Sacrifice for those who have yet to come behind us. Many times um, in the church, as we, talk about, as we talk about giving of ourselves, we talk about um, uh, being disciples, we talk about giving financially and personally and, and spiritually uh, in, into the life of a congregation or into, into the life of our faith, um, we, we talk about it sometimes as a sacrifice. That we are giving of ourselves to push something forward that is beyond what we might know. One of the most interesting things that as I, as I um, learned about, um, about giving and about estates and, and about people who have, who have really, really, um, you know, done well for themselves 
is that most people don't think beyond their grandchildren. Most people don't think beyond their grandchildren. They think, oh, well, you know, for my estate, maybe I want it to give to my kids, but oftentimes by the time that, that folks get old enough, the kids have made it. I mean, they've, they've done well, and if they haven't, then we'll figure that out. But we think about grandkids. Oh, well, I'm going to fund my grandkids' education. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this sort of thing. I was, at a, I was at, a, at, a, at a teaching thing about giving in the church where um, the presenter said, what if, you could, what if you could challenge people to make a sacrificial gift that wouldn't benefit just their grandchildren? but their grandchildren's grandchildren. The grandchildren are the people who would come to that congregation in two generations or three generations, that they would make a gift that would last beyond just what they could see generationally. That's a different kind of sacrifice. Giving for those that you will never see, will never physically touch, will never be a part of. Paul writes about sacrifice in, in Romans 12. And all throughout Romans, Paul has been talking about an understanding of grace, an understanding of the covenant between, the, you know, the covenant with the Jewish people, his people, and then the way that he understands that the covenant has been opened up to, in, to include all the Gentiles and that his call is to, is to bring Gentiles into this covenant and to help Jews and Gentiles understand the gift and the blessing and the sacrifice of Jesus that draws them all together. And so then in Roman, Romans 12, he, he writes this, and I'm sure you've heard this before. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, ancient people knew what a sacrifice was. They knew what a dead sacrifice was, right? They knew what it meant to sacrifice an animal, to sacrifice their grain offering. They even knew in biblical times about human sacrifice. There were still people who, 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 who worshipped by sacrificing their children. So they, so they understood what it meant to have a dead sacrifice, something that was living, you killed it, you, that, was your, that was your sacrifice. They, they understood that. But then Paul writes about make yourself a living sacrifice. This is something a little different, isn't it? He's calling them to no longer be thinking about something that you, you know, you, you kill it and that's your sacrifice and it's sort of over, that that action is it, that that's, that that's what you do, but, but that this is something living, this is something that continues, this is something that goes on, this is something that, that goes forward. There's movement here when you talk about something that is a living sacrifice, Something that it has, in a sense, a life of its own or comes out of your own life. 
And he says, that is your spiritual worship. We've, there's been a lot of ink spilled about what he means by spiritual. Actually, it could be, that is your reasonable worship, which makes it a little bit weird. Reasonable? A sacrifice is reasonable? We often don't think of sacrifice as reasonable at all. Why would I do that? Why would I give something that's going to cost me unless it benefits me somehow? Going back to the sacrifice fly. Present your bodies. And he's not just talking about our physical bodies here. He's talking about our entire lives. Present your entire lives as a living sacrifice. He's talking to those who've been caught by the sacrifice of Jesus, who've been caught by the life and the teachings of Jesus, and who've been caught by the invitation into this new life that Jesus offers. A life of hope and a life of grace. A life where all people are welcomed into this covenant. The lepers and the sinners and the prostitutes and the tax collectors along with everybody else. He's inviting them into this brand new thing and he's saying, you know, but it's not, it's a free gift of grace. And then when you accept that free gift, God invites you to make yourself an offering. To give of yourself every single day. To show what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. Do not be conformed to this age. It could be translated. Do not be conformed to this age. It could be translated. In the scripture, oftentimes the the word for eternal life really means the life of the age to come. So when it says, you know, believe in Jesus and you will be given eternal life, it says, believe in Jesus and you will live into the life of the age that is to come. There's a sense that the kingdom of God is that age that is to come, and it is here now. Jesus said so much. He said the kingdom is among you. It is right here with you. It is living with you. And in a sense, when he gave us the Spirit, the kingdom is within us. So don't be conformed to this age. Be conformed to the age that is to come, the kingdom age. And what's the kingdom age? The kingdom age is a, is a time when all people will come together, when all people will worship on God's holy mountain, when all people will be welcomed to the table that the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is a foretaste of. All people will be welcome at that table. That's the life of the age to come, and that is what we are supposed to be conformed to. A lot of people say, well, don't be conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewing of your minds, and they think, oh, well, I don't want to be conformed to this world, so I'll be conformed to the world of the 1950s. Because it was a lot better back then, I'm sure. <laughs> right? I mean, especially in the church, in churches, us, us, you know, us old school mainline churches, like, like we like to get caught up in the forms and in the ways of, 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 of the times when we thought it was a golden era. 
Well, for Christians, the golden era is the kingdom of God. And it is among us, and it's coming. I know that's hard to get a, wrap your head around. It is here, and it is not yet fully realized. It's like, I can't remember who said it, the future, the future is here, it's just not equally distributed. <laughs> right? The kingdom is among us. And when we are not conformed to this age, when we are conformed to the kingdom age, we begin to see and believe and act in ways where we begin to draw closer to that kingdom living. We begin to name and to claim where it is that we believe Jesus and is working in the world right now, and we begin to align ourselves with those kinds of things. Sometimes I know um, for Christians, it's really easy for us to go, well, you know, I, I got my faith. I got it going on. I said my, said my sinner's prayer. I'm saved. I've got it all figured out. I don't need to do too much. You know, I go to my church. I give my tithe. I, you know, I, I, do, some, I do some nice serving things. That's what, that's what I'm doing. But I was challenged uh, this week by a... By a by a quote from uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Because sometimes I think we Christians, we, well, we err all over the place in terms of our, our understandings of things. Sometimes I don't think we realize the gift that we've been given that God has asked us to be partners with God in this kingdom. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, Human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. Human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of, he said men, I'm going to say people. It comes through the tireless efforts of people willing to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. Time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. We must use time creatively in the knowledge that the time is always ripe to do right. I know for many people in the last few years, they've awakened to an understanding that they didn't have. That they believed that progress is sort of an inevitability, especially in terms of the socially, like that socially we would progress and, 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 and gain greater understanding of each other and the ways we are different and the ways we are the same and that we would seek ways to move forward together. Clearly, I think, we can see that that is not the case. I don't know whether we are farther apart than we've ever been in this country. I don't want to make that kind of a grandiose statement. But it is clear that it was not an inevitability that we would grow together. 
that without the hard work of all of us seeking to reach out to our neighbors, to have hard conversations about what is going on in our communities, what is going on in our, in our states, what is going on in our world, time is the ally of social stagnation. We know from our belief that while we have been made in the image of God, while we have been made for good, we have the propensity to deceive ourselves, to surround ourselves who think, with, with people who think and act and look like us, and we forget that our call, our call is to not be conformed to this age. When we are not conformed to this age, but when we begin to be conformed to the age of the kingdom, we, we do not hold on to the forms of this world, the way, the way things have been, the way things necessarily have even been meaningful for us. We, we hold on to the things and begin to see the things of God and the ways that we must be transformed and changed. Not conformed, but transformed and changed so that we can then become the harbingers of the kingdom that is coming and is already here. We can be the ones that speak aloud of the grace and the hope of God that welcomes all people into a community of God that is moving forward in God's name, not in the name of some leader, not in the name of some ideology, but in God's name to draw people together to become this community made in the image of God that worships God with his whole heart and mind and soul that lifts up every person's gift that draws them together so that everyone knows how valuable they are in every community, in every society, in every congregation. We cannot stop or rest ever. I wish we could. We trust that God, of course, is leading this charge, that God is in the midst of all of it, and that the Spirit gives us the energy, the creativity, and the intelligence to do the things that we need to do now in order to speak of the kingdom of God in our midst and on the way. And so we discern, it says, the will of God The word here is teleos, telos, which means the end. Or, often people think about it as like um, the end, meaning like the end of all things. But really it is the end, meaning the completion, the wholeness of all things. We are conformed and we we are discerning the will of God, the end of God, the form of what God is bringing into the world, that that is what we are discerning. What is that end that God wishes to see in us and in our communities, in this city, in this state, in this country, and around the world? And what role do I play? What living sacrifice can I give? Because Jesus gave himself as they understood it, as a sacrifice for the new life that we are being invited into. Our hope is not in in human forms. Our hope is in the form of the kingdom. 
But we today must work even harder to not let time be the ally of social stagnation. We have been given a gift. And you and I have been given so many resources. The places that we occupy at our work, in our communities, economically, socially, the, way, the ways and the places we serve, we can become a voice, an embodiment of the kingdom of God if we are willing to make that living sacrifice each and every day. And for some of us, that means putting our money where our mouth is. I'm going to pick on something. And I don't, mean to, I don't mean to say that it's a bad thing. I'm just going to pick on it for a minute. Youth sports programs in this country are a $13.5 billion industry. There are people who spend $100,000 a year so their child might have the opportunity to get a college scholarship. $100,000 a year. My father would say, put that $100,000 in the bank, you idiot, and um, have a lot more free time. But that's just my father. <laughs> We're often willing to make those sacrifices for our children. But what if we spent half that much money? What could we do with like $6.5 billion in this country? What kind of job creation and training programs could we create? To help people have a hand up, not just to, not just to you know, let them stay in situations you know, where, where, where they're being given things, but so that they, they, their gifts and skills are drawn out of them, so they become contributing members to this society. They, they, they see the worth in themselves, and then they turn around and do that for somebody else. What could we do with that kind of resources? And guess what? We have it. We have the resource available to it. It's just unequally distributed. It's in our pockets. (laughs) I'm not saying that that the wealth should be spread around. I'm just saying we need to focus it in different places, in my opinion. What are the things that we are committed to as people of God, and are they furthering the kingdom? That's just the basic question. Again, I picked on that just because it was an easy target. I read an article yesterday, and I was like, $13.5 billion? Wow! Probably doing a ton of good in communities, too. You know? I mean, again, I'm not trying to say bad good. I'm just pointing out something that we often don't realize. We have so many resources. So my question for you today is how... What is God calling you? What, what is the living sacrifice that God is making, asking you to make now in your life? How are you not using the gifts that God has given you? And how could you use those gifts to further the kingdom? To fully become a member of that body of Christ that is moving and representing the kingdom now. Where is it now that God is calling you to be a living sacrifice? 
For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure that faith of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For we who are many are one body. And individually we are members of one another. May you not be conformed to this age, but may you be conformed to the age that is to come. May you, may your mind be renewed and transformed as you seek to be a living sacrifice, showing forth the gift, the grace, and the end of God. Amen.